0: your host, Patrick Hughes. In this programme, I'm in Adelaide, South Australia, and I'm talking to Pamela Terry, a woman I met in quite a random way. Let's have Pamela tell the story. Let's talk about where I met you.
1: Yes. Very well.
0: So that was in the Art Gallery of South Australia. Yes. Now, I found myself there by accident, because at at one point you said to me, where did you think you were? And (laughs) I was walking from the National Wine Centre after having had a glass of wine with lunch to the State Library which I've still not visited by the way (laughs) (laughs) spotted the art gallery and discovered that there was a tour starting about five minutes later and so that's when I spotted you or you spotted me and said oh you said are you going to join our tour that's
1: right well actually I thought that you'd said something about seeing Ben Quilty
0: That's absolutely true. You know,
1: there was a Ben Quilty exhibition and you thought it was something to do with quilting, which is hilarious because anything less like a quilter, I think.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's right. I had spotted the sign outside saying Ben Quilty and I thought, oh, well, there's some kind of textile exhibition Mm. going on in here. So you're absolutely right. So how did you come to be at the Art Gallery in South Australia?
1: Uh, Well, when I retired... Um, I knew I'd go bonkers if I didn't do something interesting. And so it's 15 years I've been a guide there now, and things have changed quite a lot, like the hanging that we went through. That's all very different from when I started because it was chronological then in the colonial section. And now it's not. It's more thematic, and there are some guides that like it and some that don't. I quite like it, actually, Cause it gives you quite a good chance to sort of do what I'm good at or just sort of plucking things out of the air and linking them up together, it's not just an in and then 1933, this happened and so on so um, so we had to train for a year and um, you start off and you're very, I mean I am enthusiastic because it's led me down highways and byways but probably don't do as many tours as I used to We've got quite a few guides. So I do children's tour, well, school tours sometimes, and I quite enjoy that. So how many times a month would you do a tour or do guides, well, guide work there? At present, twice a month, which isn't very much, but it, there was a stage when I was doing one or two a week. But there's other younger ones coming through who are very keen, and I sort of pick and choose a bit what I do.
0: I could see, as we were going through through the tour, I could see a bit of a spark in your eye or a sparkle in your eye. And I thought, oh, here's one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you and I had a conversation about colonialism as yes. we were going through.
1: Which developed into a discussion and then an argument, or an argument and then a discussion.
0: <laughs> Which is exactly what I love to happen <laughs> <laughs> somewhere along me, the way. Me too. Um, there was an interesting thing that you said about colonialism, I suppose about the whole discussion, which was that at some point, I think that this is a very reasonable approach, mm-hmm. at some point do you accept how things are and move on? Or maybe at what point do you accept things and move forward?
1: I think you have to move forward, and it's a disgrace, many of the things that happened, not just in Australia, but throughout the the history of colonisation but what I was getting at in a way is that people's viewpoints change and as we become more more travelled in a way uh, that's part of it but more educated or more open to discussion about these things you can see why it was very wrong to take away, for example Aboriginal people from their homeland, which to them is like a mother, you know, and plop them somewhere else because you want their land for uh, to be pastoralist Um, and I mean it's, there are some very many dreadful terrible stories and uh, however I think I think some good comes out of most things, is what I like to think, and I think now we're definitely much more um, open to talking and thinking about these things. Although some people aren't, and there are still particularly with regard to the Aboriginal people. But in my opinion, which probably is a bit Uncle Tom or something, I think education's the answer. If you can get people in and discuss things and talk about things and make each other see your points of view, then you can have a certain amount of cohesiveness in a country. At the moment it's still not good. Some of that's because of the tyranny of distance. You know, there's a lot of people. It's white, this is a huge country. And, um, but we've got a lot to learn too. You know, white people or European background people or whatever. Um, And now we have people, too, from the Middle East and so on and so forth. So, yes, it was an awful time. And not always. I think there must have been some nice people around. (laughs) But um, some of it was disgraceful. I'll buy that.
0: Let's go back in time a little bit. Where were you born? I was born in London. And how long did you live in the UK for at that point?
1: At that point... um, about three years. I was, a, I was a child when my parents were from New Zealand, although they hadn't been back to New Zealand for years because they'd run a hotel in, in um, what was Rhodesia. And I think the fact that my grandparents were dying sort of sparked them to, to bring me back. But we didn't stay long. We stayed four years or something. My mother had itchy feet, and she worked as a nurse. Uh, plus, my father was from a fairly wealthy family, but they very seldom travelled together or saw each other much from when I got over over a long time. So we were constantly on the go. So I can't tell you how long I've lived here and to live there. I think the plus side is, I think that certainly broadens your mind. That's true.
0: So zero to three, if you like, from birth until three, roughly, UK. yeah. Three to seven then? Yes. New Zealand. New
1: Zealand, then back... It's a joke when I tell it. back, And I can't remember it all anyway. Back to the UK, then back to New Zealand. I can't remember how long. Anyway, we kept going backwards and forwards until I was about 12 or 13. And then my mother remarried a ship's captain, so that was a good idea. And, I mean, in terms of keeping the family stable. (laughs) And as soon as I finished my degree, I was out of there, back to England. And... um, because in those days, that's what you—well, that's what I wanted to do anyway. Because I always felt England was my home, um, and that's not turned out to be like that. But you know, that's what happened then. And why do you think your mother had itchy feet? Well, she was a, a gal, a girl from the, a very poor farming family in New Zealand, and I mean, they were tenant farmers. That's how I understand it, and. Um, My grandfather was one of these people who believed that education was for boys, not for girls. Well, I mean, we are talking a very long time ago. And um, anyway, she and her sister were very bright, but they left school at 12 or 13, I don't know. And eventually they went nursing, to cut a long story sort of short. And I got into that and my mother joined the library at, the, at um, the hospital and read, 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 read everything and went to see Shakespeare plays up on the gods and everything. And she just couldn't wait to get out and, or um, well, you know, sort of broaden her horizons. So she came to England as soon as she could. Uh, well, she did midwifery and all those things in New Zealand before she left. And she was engaged to my father by that stage, but it was all a big secret because he was from an extremely wealthy family and she wouldn't have been good enough. But she got some fabulous jobs. Um, and that was about in the thirties. Ca- and then he was a professional cricketer. And then they came in Rhodesia, actually, and they'd had a child in Africa and he unfortunately got cancer, so they brought him to England
0: my podcast is called Where on Earth oh. and we're in Adelaide everybody As we're doing this uh, conversation with Pamela Terry but my sort of tagline is from anywhere to here <laughs> which is one of those sentences that doesn't appear to mean very much but what I mean by it is we find ourselves we come from all kinds of parts of the world even in our own lives oh. we're made up of all of these experiences and yet we find ourselves here having this conversation Uh, And what I'm really excited about finding out about you is how you found yourself here. So at 18, you're in New Zealand, but you're ready to go to university and you're like, I'm back to the UK.
1: As soon as I finish my degree. Okay. Yeah. So you did your degree in what? Um, English and French. And then I went and I worked for a while for Lever Brothers. And then my mother said... If you've gone to university and got a degree, you should use it. And I said, there's only teaching. And she said, well, that's all right. So I did <laughs> what my mother said. <laughs> and I thought, I'd because of French and everything, I thought I'd get a job in a classy girls' school or something. And I actually did. But then um, I decided, when I saw what the agency took, I went and worked for what was then the LCC. And they sent me off to 42 seven-year-olds at the Elephant and Castle.
0: What is, oh, the London City Council, is that yeah, right? Yeah, it was okay. it's a GLC, I yeah. don't know what
1: they call it now, probably something else. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was good for a twin set and Pearl's Girl from Adelaide. Um, <laughs> that's what we all wore mm-hmm. in those days. So, But fortunately, I think probably having travelled and met all sorts of people, um, I sort of fitted in. I enjoyed it, I really did. Kids, L- London has there. that
0: vibe, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah.
1: I didn't enjoy it while well, in London. No, I worked so hard and so long hours, and the travelling was long. And although it was the beginning of the sixties, I didn't see much of all that stuff. Really, I had to come home exhausted. Managing forty-two seven-year-olds uh, was quite challenging. So shall we say?
0: <laughs> I could only imagine. So you're living in London. This is the sixties. Yeah. Early no, 60s. Oh, yeah. the early 60s. Note, I haven't asked uh, what year you were born That's in. That's all right. And, I'm, I'm I, avoiding that. I'll
1: but. tell you. I don't care. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, then tell me. Wh- wh- when were you born?
1: 1943. Oh. I'm a wartime baby.
0: Yes, you are. <laughs> so, early 60s, you're in your early 20s then. Yeah, very early 20s. Very early 20s. You've got your degree, you're living in London, and you're teaching. Does Did it feel at that point like... London forever I'm going to be this is my future where I'm going to be
1: um, well I was sort of semi-engaged at the time and then I did become engaged and my um, husband-to-be was a New Zealander and I hoped I could persuade him to change his mind and stay in Britain but he was sort of obliged in a way and that's the, in a way a big regret of mine that I um, that I hadn't stuck my my growl my ground or whatever because I didn't want to go back to New Zealand and in the 60s it was quite quite different as you can imagine from London um, but we actually I, then we went up, well I went to Oxford and I loved Oxford that's where I wanted to stay and uh, that's all one of those nostalgic dreams that probably I don't know if it would have worked out or not but I liked the whole thing about Oxford and um, working in a choir school and all that sort of thing. So, yes, it was with great reluctance I I left, but I did. I did the pack and follow thing. Tell me about that. Pack and follow? Yeah. Well, that's what wives were expected to do. In fact, I think there's a novel, not a novel, a a book about a naval wife or something called pack and follow, because what you do is generally you're the one that packs, the wife's usually the one that packs up and (laughs) follows her husband or in some cases... No, I don't think so. It's more the other way around. It's husband and wife, and she follows. And... um, So that's what you you did
0: effectively?
1: Yes, eventually.
0: At at, at what point did that happen?
1: After he'd finished his postgraduate degree. So you're still in the 60s. Still in the 60s, and he got offered a job at university in New Zealand, and, you know, I, I wanted him to try for other positions... Which weren't terribly well paid, but I didn't care. You know, I mean, we weren't really that interested in money anyway. But I guess it was the security of it. Yeah. Um. So he gets a tenure
0: in New came, Zealand.
1: Yeah, a straightaway permanent. Okay. So that was a big plus, I suppose. I hated it. Um, I must have been terrible to live with. I think I cried every weekend for a year at least. <laughs> And you were in Auckland or elsewhere? Auckland. Mm -hmm. I mean, then we, you know, then we had a good time and you meet lots of people and, in fact, probably wouldn't have met some of the people if I'd been anywhere else. He was a Germanist, I don't know if that's the correct word, and so we had German authors coming out and they were all very nice and, I mean, they were, usually their English was sufficient and my German was sort of (coughs) sufficient that we could talk and... Uh, and some of them I remember very well and that was very interesting of course because as the pack and follow wife I often got detailed off to take them out all for the day which I liked
0: and in a strange way you were a guide then too
1: I suppose so I was sort of more interested in getting them to talk about their work or not, not for any reason but just it was more interesting to me but they liked New Zealand although one German guy said to me in New Zealand, I won't try and do the accent. But in New Zealand, the ice cream is like mashed potato, and the mashed potato is like ice cream. I hope no New Zealanders are going to listen to this, but um, and I hope
0: lots of New Zealanders <laughs> are going to listen
1: to it. Oh, but it, but it was a no. It's not like that now. It's a much no, different no. place, but that was what it was like for him, and I could see what he meant. So he wasn't tempted to come out and, you know, try his luck out in. In the uh, antipodes, but um, that's not the case now. But it is very beautiful. And did did you have a family at that point? Children of my own. Yes, I had two children, not straight away, but um, within a year or two. It's um, two girls, and that kept me very busy. Anyway, I didn't have time to cry on the weekends, and <laughs> and that was nice. And then we came back to England, but that's another story.
0: Well, that's the story that we want to hear. So. What stimulated you to come back to England, then, after that?
1: Well, no, we didn't come back permanently. It was sabbatical. Uh, they, here in Australia and New Zealand, and I'm not sure where else, um, Canada, I think, do something similar, every so many years you go off on full pay and you're expected to do some research or something. Mm-hmm. So we did and we went back to London. And my children were not quite two and not quite four.
0: Oh, they really were very young. Very young. Yeah.
1: And so I um, I went to the doctors, with, they had to have a vaccination or something, and I said it's not fair, it's like being on the outside of a pastry shop, not that I really want to make a career eating pastries, but you know, you couldn't do anything because the children were very little. Anyway, the doctors, receptionist came out with a list of people to contact and before long I was in the village, you know, sort of doing all the things and went and joined a drama a mime club I mean mime collars I used to bowl up to people on the street a bit like you really and say <laughs> <laughs> I'm Pamela I've got two young children I see you've got a child on your pushchair. show shall we meet for coffee and they go oh yes blah 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 because English people at that stage didn't really do that
0: they still don't
1: <laughs> well I did <laughs> it was either that or go mad on your own
0: very wise
1: it was the swinging 60, well, late 60s, early 70s here in Australia and my husband at the time was very taken with Adelaide and he got offered a job here. So we left New Zealand and came here and then after a few years we went back to England and I stayed for a while and he came back and we separated.
0: But you stayed on in England. Had, uh, you had realised a number of things by the sounds of it first that you really did love being in England yes and second that maybe this was the right time for um the relationship to end
1: well you know Mm -hmm. circumstances but yes I think I was at that stage where I wanted to do something for me of course I never did anything as grand as I thought I might be able to do but um but I had to come back eventually here because the children you know, that was the, that's always the big thing. And I, it was hard to find somewhere to live in England. And in any case, m- my children needed their father as much as they needed me. So, you know, so I did come back and... Um, Do you recall what age
0: you were at that point?
1: When I came back? Yeah. 30-something, 30 37, 38, something like that.
0: You're still a young woman, so at, at 37, 38. So you, you come back, you get a... Your own home here? in Adelaide. Eventually,
1: but I went teaching in the southeast because I could get a permanent job then, so I was there for, I don't know, four years, and I had a whale of a time, actually, because um, I put on school musicals, and, you know, you could... And then the children used to come down regularly, and my daughter, who was very good at it, she became my stage manager when, when I was... She always... Coincided with the holidays. That's
0: interesting. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was when we were walking around the gallery, mm. there was a German painting that we looked at, which was a family group. Oh yes. Each of whom had an instrument. Mm. I don't know if you recall. Music. Exactly I do. The of one. course, I do. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we had another Irish or two other Irish people in the tour group. Mm. And I said, this looks like a bit of a ceilidh, you know, where people were getting together to play music and have a bit of crack. The only difference being that the little girl in that painting was playing a tuba. Yes, I think. that was a bit. <laughs> and I, I can't think that there would be many Irish little girls playing tubas. But that was voice, German. Then. Oh, I, yes, you know it was German. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I know it was German. Yeah. But you really were interested in, I could see that you were interested in music. So that's why I'm interested that you were putting on musicals and plays. What role was music playing for you?
1: Well, I didn't teach music, actually, I didn't really have much confidence, you know, I did teach drama, I mean, but that's only by default, they found somebody that said, yes, oh yes, I'm interested in drama, yes, I went to a summer school in drama, you know, natter-natter, and they they said, well, you can put on a play, and I said, oh God, I don't think so. And then it got to be a musical, and then it was every year for a while. And um, that takes a lot out of your time. The trouble is you're supposed to do all your teaching, and you know. And I used to say in the end that I did teaching in my spare time. I was <laughs> rehearsing. That's the fate of a lot of teachers, I think. If you put your hand up... I didn't really put it up. I just said I was interested, and so that was it. You're it. That's what I liked about being in the southeast. You said... You like singing, and they'd say, "Well, you can be in the choir." And you know, uh, oh, I was in plays as well myself. So that was a really, um, yes, that that was fun. And then I came back eventually to Adelaide because um, my mother died. She was she'd come here to see me. And I took off to the southeast, but anyway, I came back and I've been back for a few years now.
0: Well, quite a few years. So that, yeah. that's sort of in the mid seventies. You're you're here as a. Young mother, but who is single?
1: Yeah, it was yeah. We came here first of all to Australia in seventy five. So by this stage, it's nearer the eighties.
0: But you and your husband have divorced at this point. Your children are um, between us. Between the two of you, um, what's life like in Adelaide in the if it if it's the early eighties by that point? What's life like for you there?
1: Well, quite good. I mean, I joined a choir. Um, teaching keeps you on your toes anyway so I, I think I mean I was busy I think I was deliberately busy anyway and um, the children were always prepared to tag along with anything that I was doing and the same with their father was he was in the whole drama thing as well by that stage so um, I think yes of course some of it was difficult but um, I just rolled up my sleeves and got stuck in I think I don't remember it being... It was a different part of my life. I think that's how my life's gone, in chunks. You know, sometimes it's in England, sometimes it's here, sometimes it's in the not-professional theatre world, but all that sort of thing. Other times it's, you know, whatever.
0: If part of your story almost reflects the itchy feet that your mother had, in a way...
1: No, because I wanted always... Really, I mean, that was the distress at leaving England the first time around. I wanted to stay there, I didn't want to be shifting around, but of course, to some extent, I did. I mean, I was in England, and then once we separated and divorced, I came back here basically so that I'd be, you know, that we would have an ex a family relationship at least, which has become even more so in recent years. They get married eventually and have their children. Well, at least one's in England, but the one here is very family-oriented, so we always turn up for things at like Christmas and christenings and da 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 and I used to think that wasn't the way I'd planned it, but in actual fact, I quite enjoy it now. You know, we're all together on, on the important occasions.
0: I'm reflecting on your mother's itchy feet. Oh, yes. That, that you... You ended up moving while wanting to be settled yeah. simply because of that packet But she didn't
1: thing. want to be settled.
0: <laughs> she didn't want to be settled, but you did, and you found it here but it was in, in Adelaide, but it wasn't where you might have expected to have found it.
1: No, because I always planned... Oh, that's the next part of the story, I suppose. I always planned to go... Once the children were old enough, um, I would go back to England, and I put things and feelers out for jobs and things, and then I met... My husband, the second husband, um, <laughs> here.
0: Let's talk about your second husband.
1: <laughs> so well, how did you, how did you in, meet him? In the choir. But, ah. but I'd been at five years before I met him because they keep, you know, I was an alto, so the altos chummed up together and the sopranos, and you hardly ever saw the men. And then I was at school complaining about how we had a concert right in the middle of reports or something. And this woman said, Oh, um, I know somebody that's in that choir and she told me a bit about him. At that stage, he was travelling a lot to the States, backwards and forwards. And I said, oh yes, he's always late to choir practice. He comes in with his suitcase, having just got on a, off a plane. And so anyway, as it turned out, a friend lent me her house, a big house, during the summer and I thought I'd have a party. So I wanted to make up even numbers though because I was we, I had it all set up with croaky and and bull. and so I asked him if he'd like to come. I really didn't know I knew that he'd be that his wife had died and that he had a child about the same age as my children, and that was about it. I didn't know anything else about him. Anyway, so I said except that we'd, you know, all had drinks together sometimes after concerts. So I said, Would you like to come to this party and I said if you've got somebody you're going out with that's fine except she's going to have to be prepared to be the third wheel every now and then and he said oh yes I got his little note he's an engineer little notebook out, wrote this all down I thought that's cute and because um, that wasn't a world I knew at all maths science he was a research engineer for DSTO which was a, uh, something to do with weapons of research which I hated I wished he hadn't you know, we used to have a lot of arguments about that. And he was also a very good... He sang in the, in the St. Patrick's, not St. Patrick's, Francis Xavier's Cathedral Choir as well. So he was dotty about music. So that was the big link choral music and, you know... So
0: music. music brought you together with your second husband?
1: Basically, and the first husband too, to some extent. <laughs> I've always been interested in theatre, and, and I went through a patch where I thought I'd like to be on the stage. I don't, know, I mean, I don't know if I would have been any good, really. But anyway, I've always been interested. So, um, but my father during the war, he was a, he was too old really, to be, to, he went into the RAF, even though he was a New Zealander, but, and uh, only because people were sending white feathers. You know, and actually, he was in his mid-30s, so it was not re- really call-up age, but anyway, he went. And then when they found out who he was, this, at that time, famous New Zealand cricketer, they, he was put in, He was commissioned and was an entertainment officer, and he used to run all the Etmar shows and things like that and get it all sorted for the troops, you know, or whatever. So I think that must have been in the blood, really.
0: So you say your father was a famous New Zealand cricketer.
1: Yes, not any more. he only well, been over a hundred now.
0: What? Um, what is his name?
1: Kenneth, Cecil, James. He's in wisdom. He. And if you ever go to Wellington to the cricket place, there, his name's up for having in one test something like boulder made over, um, taken three lots of wickets. I can't remember it at all. He was a very good cricketer. He was also very good at hitting the boos. And um, um, oh. No. Well, that's... In those times... That were, and and the women loved him, too.
0: <laughs> Are you saying more than from a distance?
1: <laughs> more than from a distance. Ah,
0: OK. Were you aware of that as a... As a gal?
1: Um, only towards the end of their marriage, I think. Um, I mean, we were seldom with him, you know. He wasn't home much. Because they used to go on long tours and wives weren't allowed to come anyway. Um, certainly knew him as somebody who came every now and then and who was mildly amusing, um, you know.
0: I do know, yes. <laughs> do you? Oh. Yes, but we'll, we'll talk about that uh, a little later. We were talking about how music had brought you and both your husbands together.
1: Um, one, way, one way and another. So
0: you've mentioned to me that your second husband has passed away.
1: Yes, he died four years ago.
0: That's still probably quite fresh in a way.
1: Now on another life cycle.
0: What's this life cycle?
1: Learning to... Well, I've never really... I'm I saying never been on my own. I mean, this is like uh, you are on your own. So it's up to you to get out and make something of your life. He was a long-time sick, So I was very, in a way... When I, I didn't really know if he was going to die, because I think we discussed this. He was on so many different trials, medications and things. I was actually quite shocked when he did die, although he looked... Anybody with half an eye would have realised that he wasn't going to live much longer when he did die. But um, I've sort of, in a way, and mentally prepared... I've always made sure that I had a circle of friends here and a circle of friends there, and, you know, like a book club and a choir commitment and a whatever... So, uh, but then I shifted from the house that we'd been in. He'd lived, well, I lived there 25 years, I think, and um, he'd lived there longer. And I shifted because I had a beagle and he was barking and upsetting the neighbours. And I hated, oh. I got to it. In the end, I was like this, you know, about the dog and everything. So I shifted and then I had to make a whole new, not new friends, but a new... Way of life, and the dog was as good as gold once we'd shifted, and then he died two years later. Oh no! After I had uprooted my life completely. But I do like where I live, it's much more into you know, getting towards town, and it's an old area, old suburb, and it's not. um, I live next door to Greek people and all sorts of things, and I find that very interesting. It's more
0: cosmopolitan, it is more
1: cosmopolitan. Not that you really see neighbours much. Here, but um, and I am happy living there. I'm I'm trying to make the house into my, you know, haven. And it, it's it's a lot different from it was when I first moved into it. But yes, yeah, so so I had that time. Now this is this time. Different cycle. Yes, Difference. I think that's how it's gone. And I look yeah. at it now, you know. And I said to a friend the other day, his wife died, and I said, well, you're on a different. So, a different chapter now, and I think he looked at me a bit as much as to say what a heartless person you are. But it's well, true though, isn't it? It's I mean, a
0: practical response to life, isn't it?
1: Oh, of course, of course. It doesn't, it's not, you don't go, oh, whoopee, this is the next cycle sort of thing. But um,
0: But nonetheless, it is?
1: Yes, and I intend to go on cycling for as long as I can.
0: Well, and you've got the spirit for that. Um, husband number three? Oh, no.
1: (laughs) No, 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 no. First of all, the reality is that older men, or people my age, prefer younger women, or they're looking for a nurse. And I tell you what, I'm not doing that again. I had over, well, let me see, 19 years of looking after John. And I mean, I don't say that with any, I don't grudge it at all. And he was a lovely man but I feel I've been there, done that um, and the older you get the more like yourself as a child you get I'm very selfish <laughs> and it doesn't mean to say of course in an ideal world but I don't, no no, I don't No, no it's not on my agenda it wasn't on my agenda last time mind you Which is
0: why it might uh, turn up at some point. Oh, God, no. (laughs) Be very careful in your choir. That's all I'm saying.
1: (laughs) Choir. Oh, that's the Russian choir. Yes, the choir I'm in now. So how did you come to join the
0: Russian choir?
1: Because I've got a French friend that I've had for years and years and years. And she said, are you singing in choirs anymore? And I said, no, because I think I've become a baritone. And I had polyps on my vocal cords from, from... teaching French because you're at it the whole time you know I see you know you're speaking French all the time or trying to and they're being little devils some of them and or big devils because I've moved into secondary teaching no they, they're quite good then um, but so I, I said well I'll come along but if she throws me out I'll understand why so anyway when I got there there were two men and there was soprano no 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 and she heard my voice and she said i'm Ella. you will sing with the boys <laughs> i said oh all right <laughs> so there's two guys and they're very nice and um they're both you know i mean i always say friday night's my giggling night because we're sort of re- trying to read the script or not trying to read the script but remember it and and so, and um, and I say to his guy, what the hell is this all about? he says, oh, I don't know. So
0: then he asks me. Oh. So you sing tenor then, do you?
1: Uh, it's low anyway, yeah. I can go quite low. I haven't quite got to that, do you remember that Russian famous, not Boris something or another, you know what it was, oh, I'm not that low. But um, I think actually my voice is a sort of, it's become a bit easier since uh, since I've been singing because I didn't sing for a long time afterwards. Oh, and I kept getting this cough, cough, cough thing. Uh, so anyway, no, it's good fun and it's we do little performances around the place on occasion and all the Russians love us.
0: <laughs> um, I think um, next time that I hear from you, you could be going out with somebody called um, Nikolaevich or Rachmaninoff. <laughs> I wouldn't be one bit surprised.
1: No, 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 no. I don't. I don't. Um, I just think. I mean, you know, I'd be having to pack and follow again. <laughs> Not doing that.
0: Tell me about when you're, you chose to retire.
1: Well, it was really because John was so ill, and it was a hard job that I had because I was in a school that I really enjoyed. It was secondary, and and. um Anyway, it came up because they, they don't do it so much. It. They, were, they were on to shifting you around after 10 years or something. And so then they said that as a compassionate placement would I like to teach at this local primary school be the French teacher. And, I mean, I enjoyed it. But it was totally different from what I'd been doing for X number of years. And the classes, it was a bit like, you know, next, the classes came thick and fast and... To some extent, I mean, the school did take it sort of seriously in a way, but, but you were really there to give the teachers a spare lesson or whatever. I mean, that was part of it anyway. But the expectations were quite high. Um, and once I got into it, I enjoyed it, but it was, it was exhausting. Anyway, John was getting nearer and nearer the end of his life, really, at that stage. I went down to three days a week and then two days a week and then finally... I thought I'd retire, and um, he was quite glad. Although um, I trained as a guide, but that wasn't that wasn't as demanding.
0: You trained as what?
1: A guide, oh, a guide eventually. At that point. Yes, yeah. yes. Not straight away, but a couple of years later. So here I am,
0: and so here you are. Is the guide work? I'm not sure whether to call it work. Volunteering. It feels, it feels like it's a, a vocation Ooh. as much as yeah. volunteering. Role. Um, are you getting in the balance of your life? Is the gallery guide work enough?
1: No, but that's because of me. I mean, some people take it really seriously. I think I'm a bit of a butterfly, you know, perhaps not the most serious. But when I work, I work, you know, but there are a lot of people who know far more about painting and and art as a a practice than I do. Um, But my thing is stories, and of course you get very interested in some of the works and some of the... I was going to say actors, it's a Freudian slip. Some of the, um, you know, artists. And I used to work, do a lot more than I do now because um, I think I'm in another one of those periods where I'm thinking what next, but on the other hand I don't want to overstep my capabilities because you know, there's other things to take up it, You could, everywhere you look you can find like, things to take up your time and I need to do things like go to exercise classes and I need to have my book club friends and you know, you sort of getting yourself in, in place for not too much um, order, but because you've always got to have things that to look forward to or something a bit different. But I think probably I need to not be too devoted to something so much so that it cuts out doing other lo- lots of other things. Does that make sense? Yes.
0: What are the other things? Is there are there one or two things that are in your mind that you'd like to add into your schedule, into your into your weekly process?
1: Well, if I could ever. Get disciplined, that's my trouble, I'm not very disciplined. I really would like to write, and I've, but not novels or anything, but I've I've started, and I think I'm one of these people, the more I have to do, the more I do, but at the moment I can't seem to get off my backside and do it. But I started writing, I started something called Memoirs of a Wartime Baby. <laughs> and
0: Is that the name of well, what was, you're writing?
1: That was one of the things, and then I wrote um, a lot of stuff about aspects of my childhood in New Zealand and in England, but they were sort of faction, and my younger daughter attacked me, so she said these are lies, and I said no they're not, they're sort of you know, kick off points, but things I remember about my childhood with my sister, having hair pulling contests and things like that, so you know, um, and I think I, I need to go back and really polish Not for publication necessarily, but just so that my family, my girls, and the extended, exploding family has got an idea of what life was like.
0: This being me, I would probably encourage you to publish it online. Oh, yeah. With maybe a daily blog or a weekly blog. I have thought
1: of that, but I'm so bad on computers. I mean, I could easily do that. I mean, in a sense, that would be the perfect sort of thing, probably. I've got to do that and I've got to start making time in my life to do those. But we've just had another baby in the family, so you can imagine. I think I've been, not with my daughter, but one of the siblings from my, uh, my daughter's My has just had a baby. And we've all got to put our hands, not we don't have to, but put our hands up, you know, to help her out for the first few months anyway.
0: One of the other things we've talked about. I'd like to reflect on the position of faith in your life.
1: My mother was Anglican, and my father was not anything very much, I don't think, but she always sent us to convents. And so I was brought up in Catholic schools, and I, of course, went through the stage where I wanted to become a Catholic, and then she used to hit the roof. Uh, I think it was very odd to send your children to Catholic schools and then play up (laughs) But, you know, in England, it's not such a thing, because we went to school in England as well. And it was quite, um, you know, but in Australia... Well, not in Australia, I didn't go to school in Australia, but in New Zealand, um, it was much less usual to have Protestant girls or boys at a Catholic school. And I don't say the nuns tried to convert you. In fact, I thought they were quite good. They'd let you argue a bit, you know, a little bit. Anyway, so faith... I think it's always been important to me, but it's not necessarily um, what do you call it, dogmatic dogma, or, or um, I would say yes, I'm an Anglican now because I go to an Anglican church. But I think I've got a much broader view of religion and faith and all those things. But I'm not.
0: Do you have a spiritual practice?
1: You mean like meditating or something like that?
0: Meditating, attending services?
1: I I attend, yes, mostly every Sunday. And I must say what I've got out of it is another community apart from anything else. Um, But I wouldn't say I was a very good Christian in the sense that I find it very hard to believe a lot of stuff, chapter and verse, and I've studied a lot of other religions... And I think they all have central themes. And, but because it's part of my upbringing and part of my culture, I probably stick with Christianity. Um, because I think I might have told you that there's a little snippet of Jewish in the background. I went to a synagogue for five years um, and quite enjoyed that. It was a liberal synagogue. Um, but I think you go back, it's like going back home. You go back to what you know in the end. And um, so, yes, I go to a high church can and yes, I think it's nonsensical in on one one hand that you know they don't believe in women priests and da da da. But I go along with it because I like the people, I like the words. See, I'm very interested. I've read quite a lot of Tudor history and all that stuff, and I was very impressed with Cranmer and his translation of the Book of Common Prayer. So. Yeah, i mean it's all part of the mix
0: here's a, a question i ask everybody
1: <laughs> are you married no
0: no well, no definitely not that um no, i kidding from wherever you are in for whatever point you are at in your life is there one thing that you'd love to communicate to everybody else that you've learned in your life that you think would help them or would be an insight that's worth sharing
1: try not to be bitter (laughs) no no I'm only thinking of that because in some ways uh, I think my mother was a very bitter person even though she was a very alive interesting people but the older that she got the more bitter she got and I thought I don't want to be like that you know it's easy to do I guess you know she was a widow I was you know you can sort of see things repeating themselves but the difference is that I've always gone all out to meet all sorts of people and enjoy all sorts of experiences and I um, I never thought I would but I do enjoy the, the family that grows um, well, so I suppose the, never say never
0: and don't be bitter
1: and don't be bitter
0: <laughs> Pamela thank you very much indeed for your time, I really enjoyed our conversation
1: good <laughs> sound like we meandered all over the place but anyway. That's life. Yes, there's 95 more chapters, you know.
0: (laughs) You can catch more details about this on the Where on Earth webpage at www.whereonearth.net That's whereonearth.net And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you download your favourite podcasts. Take care. (laughs)